All right, good morning. Welcome to the Body Image and Sexuality Workshop. My name is Christy. I'm a grateful, recovering, compulsive eater, overeater, and your moderator for this meeting. Please join me in the serenity prayer. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. I, first, I have a very brief announcement I've been asked to make. The uh, public information committee packets are distributed outside the San Juan room. Intergroup representatives, please stop by and pick up a packet. Looks like this. Before we get started, I ask that all uh, cell phones or other electronic equipment be turned off. Even if you think it's off, please make sure that it is. This session is being taped. To protect our anonymity, no photography, audio, or visual recording is allowed. And those of you who are along the walls are welcome to come up here and sit down. Anywhere you can find room up in this area. Or more chairs are on the way. Okay, the opinions expressed here today are those of the individual OA members and do not represent Region 2 or Overeaters Anonymous as a whole. Please remember, if you are a two-hatter, in other words, OA members affiliated with related facilities or other 12-step programs, you are requested to speak on your recovery in the OA program only. An Ask It basket is being circulated for the question and answer portion of this session. If there is any press in this room, please respect our anonymity by not taking any pictures, using a video camera, or using our full names. The format of this session, Body Image and Sexuality, is as follows. Two speakers will share for 25 minutes each, followed by 15 minutes of questions and answers. Our first speaker for this workshop is Kevin. Our second speaker will be Susan H. Hi, everyone. My name is Kevin. I'm a compulsive eater. Hi, Hi everyone. Wow. This room is just packed. <laughs> it's so funny. Yeah. Well, what I think is the most amazing is the body image and sexuality is a topic, and they left the word sexuality off in the poster outside. Did you notice? And still we have found our way in. <laughs> so the people on the tape, just to let you know, there's a small room. They always have the smallest room, and people are, like, literally sitting in the aisles and packed out the door. So... I don't think I'm alone with my issues around uh, <laughs> body image and sexuality. So, you know, I've rolled in my mind back and forth what I wanted to say today, and I wanted to say something just completely <laughs> profound and amazing, and I just have to rely on my higher power to, to do it. Uh, it's no mystery why I've gotten this topic, because this is really a challenge for me personally. I wish I could tell you that I have overcome all of the body image issues in my life, and I am just happy to be naked in front of you. <laughs> Not true. So, although I did, somebody pointed out that I had my shirt on backwards just now, and I like, like, do I do it? Do I do it? I just, I just whip that shirt right off and put it right back on in front of everyone. So you know, there's a moment. Yeah, there's a moment. Yeah. Just to live free, you know. And if not around a bunch of other recovering compulsive overeaters, where else? 
you know, where else would I do that? So I feel a special freedom today and in this room. Um, I want to briefly qualify. I've been in the 12-step programs for about 22 years. I've been in OA about 21 uh, of those years. Uh, my top weight was 335 pounds. I'm maintaining about a 90-pound weight loss from that time, and I have pictures of myself that people can pass around. Uh, my, uh, my history is um, that um, I am very multiply addicted. I'm, I'm quadruply blessed. I'm, uh, <laughs> I've got 21 years clean and sober from alcohol and, and recreational drugs. I also am um, an adult child. I'm an alcoholic, an in incest survivor, um, you know, you name it. I think it's classic. Um, and so what I wanted to do is just share, like, how... Um, you know, on this topic, I guess I wanted to, I thought a lot about uh, body image and sexuality. It's not body image versus sexuality. It's the two, and do they impact each other, and how it sort of fits in my life, um, and how I work my program around that. Um, so sexuality really isn't having sex. It isn't really, you know, it isn't that I'm a man. It isn't that I'm a woman. It isn't my sexual preference, it is um, one of the biggest powers that my higher power has given me. It is my ability, it's the conduit for me to uh, connect with my physical being through my genitalia, through my body. It's quite powerful. Um, I have the distinction of being male and having testosterone versus estrogen. It's just, you know, about a 50-50 thing going on. But I'll tell you, testosterone's a trip, okay? <laughs> and there was a, uh, a, a woman, a lesbian, I think, who uh, went undercover. I don't know if you saw that, where they actually made her up, and she lived as a man for six months. And she stopped the experiment because it was too psychologically um, profound for her. And uh, she said that what she discovered there was that for women, sexuality is an option. You can hear a woman, it's been, oh, I don't know, I just put that away, it's been a year, I don't know. And she said, you know, man, it's, it's a bodily function. We, you know, you, we're sexual. It, there's no choice there. So it's something sort of like being a compulsive eater in that regard. I mean, uh, your sexuality is right there. It's up. And in particular, I thought... <laughs> Well, not right now, but, and even less so now. <laughs> but in particular, um, I think as compulsive eaters, I don't know about you, but I feel like I, um, I, I hypersexualize myself. For some reason or another, this dis-ease has afflicted me with a sense of hypersexuality, where I lived in this huge body where I felt like I was leperized. And I shared before, I live in the state of Hawaii, and I went to uh, Kalaupapa, where they have a leper colony, and I met several of the residents there. And I had a profound experience with them, because I identified and knew exactly how they felt. You know, if there is no uh, current-day leper, I think it is the, uh, the, you know, super-obese person in our society. And who would want to be sexual with somebody who is super obese. Who? You know, our icons have all these very rail thin people who work out full time and then 
airbrush the images. You know, even they don't look like that. And what's insane is we know it. And we still look at the imagery. And we still hold ourselves up to this incredible, impossible image of something that is unattainable. And it is so powerful that it drives, I'm going to speak about American culture, I'm in marketing, it drives our marketing because it's, it, it taps into our sense of shame about ourselves. And I'll tell you, at some point I would do anything for that acceptability. Anything to be loved. Anything to attain that sense of power and status that that would afford me. If I could have abs like him. If I could have pecs like that, if I could look that way and be on television like that star, man, I would be there. You know, and it's so powerful um, that you know inside this huge body that's been ravaged by a disease of compulsive eating, I have to look at myself and think, how am I going to get there from here? So I have a lot of compassion for people who are on the other side of their weight loss. You know, they're, they're looking down to the 100 plus pounds or even 30. I mean, it's an inside job, right? We all can hate ourselves every day, you know. So sexuality for me, again, is not about having sex or, or it's really simply about owning the God-given power that each of us has. And being able to tap into that resource and using it with discretion and using it um, wisely. And uh, I say again and again, because, you know, to be honest with you, um, one of the more common um, after effects of having been sexually abused and having been um, a hypersexual compulsive eater is that I, I'm... Um, sexually addicted you know I use sex like I've used food and sometimes I'm driven by my sexuality and I I don't have good boundaries around that I don't have the experience of having grown up in high school um, being of normal weight and um, going to the prom I went alone I went to all those things alone I didn't have a girlfriend in high school you know turns out that you know I'm uh, when I was 25 or 26, I discovered I'm gay, you know, and that's um, a lot of people in this room have sexual orientation, you know, challenges. Um, but, you know, for me, learning boundaries and learning how to have uh, a sense of self has been an, an extra challenge. So what I do about that, and I want to talk about body image, is, um, you know, they talk, I thought it was interesting that they lumped in, in Overeaters Anonymous, they lump sexual anorexics. Uh, I'm sorry, that's who. <laughs> that, that's, that exists. They, they, um, they lump anorexics, bulimics, and compulsive overeaters in the same room. And one of the things that anorexics um, have is that they can have body dysmorphia. So that they really have no idea that you, you know, they would, somebody would say, you're thin, look at the scale, get on the scale, it measures this, this is what you're supposed to weigh, but, this is, but I'm horribly fat. Uh, look at me, I'm so ugly. And I thought, huh, you know, that is an aspect of this disease that I think is not exclusive to anorexic. You know, isn't that interesting that we share that? Because I can look in the mirror one day 
Even today, I can look in and say, oh my God, you horrible, you fat pig, what's going on today? And then, literally two hours later, it's like, you said, right? <laughs> so, what's that about? You know, what's that about? You know, and your laughter is really validation that you guys must do that too, right? Not the sad part, you know, you, you hot babe for the ladies. So, we each have our moments of, of, I don't know, of clarity or disfigurement. And so I'm thinking that body image is not something that's fixed. It's something that's it's a perception and it's illusory and it changes. And so, and I've got to be honest with you, I had no idea what I would say today. And I was um, out traveling all week in order to get here. And um, I was on business, and I was up in Seattle, and I had a date with somebody um, down in Portland, and the flight was late. And um, I missed the date. It was clear that I was not going to make the restaurant. It, it was going to be closed. It was going to be two hours late. And I was just so upset. And I've learned, you know, just to ride with the flow, you know, just one day at a time. Oh, well. And I had been looking forward for a year, you know, to have a date with this guy who I'd seen. And, um, yeah, it was, well, we'd met in Maui. And, you know, so anyway, um, I realized, okay, I'm just going to go with the phone. I met this guy. He was at the airport, and he was really attractive looking. And I, oh, how are you doing? Maybe we're having dinner together. Here we are. So I sat down, and lo and behold, this very hot guy um, was in one of the world's oldest professions, I guess I should put it that way. And uh, he uh, is a front cover model for... You know, the, I'm not going to name the magazines, but a lot of the magazines. Um, he's in movies, uh, movies, training films, and <laughs> and I've got my new. I, you know, it's so funny. I've got this new BlackBerry. I keep on the blueberry, thinking, you know, is, is there calories in there? But I've got this phone here, and he said, look up my website, and I'm downloading these images of this person's flawless body in front of me, thinking, wow. What are the odds that I'm about to go speak and I meet this person who's like all of the fantasy material, professional, you know? And I looked at the photographs and I looked at him and I thought, okay, you're right. He looks about attractive, but not like this, you know? And he's um, amazing, but not $1,400 a day amazing. <laughs> So I, I interviewed him, you know, I did this whole thing. I, I, I've always wanted to be Oprah, so I figured out I would be, I'd be the male version, Mopra. And, and I just asked him the questions, you know, it's like, well, geez, I mean, you're doing this for money. Don't you feel pressure walking into a situation where you feel like you have to perform and you're getting, I mean, am I worth the $1,400 to do what I'm doing? He says, you know, it's really not about the sex. It's never about the sex. It's about intimacy. It's about closeness. It's about meeting that person on a platform where they feel good about who they are and showing them that, um, you know, they're, they're in the human race like the rest of us. And I have to say, in his own way, over the two hours that we met at the airport, it, there was some magic that he had, you know, he cast his spell on me in a way. And I left him feeling wonderful about myself and very, very attractive and beautiful. And, you know, so I figured, all right, there's a message there somehow. That for me, 
I'm convinced because my body image, I've, I did a fourth step specifically around my body, you know, and I do the traditional AA big book fourth step where you write down your resentments. And I'm resentful against my breasts because they sag. I'm resentful against my thighs because they're not the way they should be. I'm resentful against my penis because it should be, you know, huge, right? All these things. And then, you know, I, uh, one of the critical points that I learned in the 12-step programs is putting aside what the other person did to me or putting aside the fact that I ate like that and my body has been ravaged. This is my part in hating myself. This is my part in not loving what I have left because truly I can't change it. All I can change is my opinion on what I have left. So it's odd. I look back at my history and I really, oh, did you see last night's performance? The one woman show? Oh, it was amazing. Yes. And if that's on tape, I'm getting like many, many copies. It's just really good. And one of the comments in there was, you know, to be pursuing turned backs, you know, looking in life for turned backs. And I think what I learned in my fourth step inventory about myself was that, yes, I, you know, I've lost well over 100 pounds. I've, I've got a body that's not perfect. I have a lot of negative opinions about this. I'm, I have the money for the plastic surgery um, in the bank. Uh, waiting to go down and get, you know, a tummy tuck and all that. Um, similar to um, before, I, you know, they were going to pay for my bariatric surgery. And right on the brink of doing it, I decided, no, I'm, I'm going to do this a different way. And I think I'm on the brink of that with the plastic surgery and deciding, do I, you know, I mean, I, I by all rights, could correct a lot of things. Or do I seriously take a look at stopping pursuing people with turned backs on my own body. Because there are tons of people out there that would love me and be with me and support me and care about me in a way that I could not do for myself. Do I pursue them? Heck no. <laughs> I am out there and this literally is, you know, live by the sword, die by the sword, you know. And maybe it's because of in the gay culture, it's, you know, it's a whole different set of, of rules. I mean, you're, male, female sexuality, you have the differences in bodies that there's not that much of an intense comparison, you know. But same sex, it's like, oh, well, this is what your arms look like. That's my arms, the same sexuality. So I have a tendency to be attracted to very mm, athletic very hyper, you know, huge arms, the whole nine yards as an attraction instead of finding somebody who's got a warm heart, a loving smile, who's consistent, who's loving. In fact, when I find those things, I usually run. I usually run. And I cut the other person down. I see that as being um, effeminate. I see that as being weak. And somehow in my mind, I have uh, made this distant sort of standoffish, macho, gruff sort of um, image as being something that's hot, you know. And it's not. It's not. So my challenge today and my amends to myself is to stay more than two seconds when somebody smiles at me, mm -hmm. you know. 
and to return a glance and notice the people who notice me instead of constantly be running after other people. Because on top of this whole thing, I'm 49. I'm in, in the midst of midlife crisis. <laughs> and I'll tell you, uh, if you have body issues when you're in your 20s and 30s, it only gets worse. <laughs> it's a natural occurrence that takes place. So I, I really want to figure this challenge out. I really want to harness my spirit. I really want to truly be able to control when and with whom and how I give of myself sexually and emotionally to another human being and not act in desperation and not hide in this um, somewhat, I don't know about you, it's somewhat disjointed. I go from, no, it has to be this perfect, beautiful, loving relationship to like, hey, want to hook up? You know, there's got to be a mid-ground in between those two scenarios, you know, and uh, I like, um, I, I have a Qigong worker that does body work, I've done a lot of body work, and um, the, the Qigong worker talks about the golden mean, and that is 80% does it, you know. So I, as an addict, want to do everything 100%. My, boy, my abstinence, my food plan, 100%. My God, if I ate one little grain wrong, I am, it's out the window. Let's, might as well eat, right? So it's like, well, you know, if you are going to Harvard Medical School, you know, once you get in, I think you have to get straight A's to get in, but once you're in, you can pass with B average, you know, and a B in this country means 80%. You missed the mark 20 out of 100 times. And those people are doing surgery on us today. <laughs> yeah, it's a little scary if you think about it. But <laughs> that's why I'm not having the surgery. That's the, you know. <laughs> so if I think about the 80% rule about myself and, you know, try and be a little more gentle on myself um, and take a look at... Um, you know, better ways for me to love myself as a living amends. Uh, you know, I, the other thing that I've gotten, and this was a suggestion of my friend from the, um, the Seattle airport, said, well, do you ever go naked? You know, I like to run around naked. That makes me feel better about myself. I'm like, oh, Lord, no. <laughs> I run from the shower. I put on the towel, and quick, I get dressed, you know, quickly. So... Uh, as one of the amends I've done, and this is odd, again, um, for have somebody who's survived a bit of sexual abuse and physical abuse, I, I've learned that um, I need to have some comfort, some, some safe places. So I, I've, I'm into locking my bedroom door, even though there might not be anyone home, okay, um, so that I know the curtains are drawn and I'm in a safe place. Then um, traveling this last week and a half, I've been in my hotel room and I have that, you know, double locked the door, pulled the, the blackout curtains, and spent like 20 minutes naked. And it's like, okay, I'm naked, I'm naked. Yes, I'm naked, I'm naked. But you know, <laughs> it's been okay. It's, I didn't die. I'm, I'm, it's one step. I'm learning to be more comfortable in my body, you know. And uh, again, it's such an inside job because you all may have different opinions on how I look and about my attractiveness. But the truth is, attractiveness 
is something that when, when I encounter a person who meets me and understands me and makes me feel good about who I am, that is the essence of attractiveness in me. And that's what I'm learning about myself um, as a recovering compulsive eater, that um, those are values I didn't understand before. I was constantly, constantly at war with my body. It was a battle. And uh, the addict was winning that one. And it's been a very slow process. And I think this is sort of the esoteric work that uh, people do in longer-term recovery after they've like gotten some stability. You know, my body was up and down a lot. It was I'd gain 70, I'd lose 90. I never had a time where I could finally say, well, this is generally what I got now. You know, uh, so now that I know what I have, I get to work on it. And I'll finish. Um, just telling you, I'm having some challenges. Um, I got an MRI actually yesterday here because they don't have the same equipment on the um, where I live. And um, I haven't been able to work out. I haven't been able to swim. I've got a shoulder issue. And, um, you know, for four or five months. So if you don't hit the gym and you don't swim and you don't play volleyball and you don't do all those things, your body changes. You know, I'm feeling helpless and I'm feeling fat and I'm feeling ugly. And... Um, you know, what I'm finding is that everything is a gift, you know, to learn that I am not my body. I'm not my body, you know. I'm, I'm my spirit, and um, I can find that I can find joy and beauty just by being appreciated and loving someone else in return. So that's it for me. Thanks. Okay, so our next speaker is up. I think the last workshop they did questions. Are we doing Ask It Basket? Or? Okay, the Ask It, Ask it Basket is going around. Um, so it seems that um, they're not putting up an individual's name on that. So I guess we'll both field it. Or are there enough questions in there? At the end, okay. Okay, so come on up, Susan. Hi, my name is Susan. I'm a compulsive overeater. <laughs> this room is wild. <laughs> um, hmm. You were so right. As you were talking, I started writing things down, and now I don't know what I what I want to talk about exactly. Um, I've also been in program 22 years, 49 years old. I think it's fabulous. They're having a man and woman speak today on body image. Uh, and I do come from a very different place. It was interesting hearing about hypersexuality. I come from a very, very shut down place. So I'll, I'll talk about that a little bit. Um, some of you heard my story last night. I'm a very low bottom eater. Oh, thank you. That means a lot. Thank you. I'm, I'm one of you. You, can, you can't tell me too much. <laughs> um, so I... Um, my whole life was about food, weight, and body size, and that was a very comfortable place for me to be. 
that is like my best friend. It's like a blanket. It's like I know how to make my life about my food, my weight, and my body size instead of whatever my life can be about, you know, whatever my higher power wants it to be about. Um, my family, I didn't go into this too much last night. The, the mythology in my family is that I'm fat, ugly, stupid, overly sensitive, and overly emotional. And uh, I got a big dose of that, especially the fat and ugly part. And, you know, I look in the mirror today and think, what were they thinking? That's, that's the recovery today. Um, and I know that they just, they needed something else to look at other than themselves. And, and I became that thing, that person for them to look at. I was the, the family scapegoat. And in order to believe that, I had to eat a lot of food because it wasn't the truth. And still today, if I have trouble with food, there's probably some non-truth that I'm trying to make the truth. Uh, my sponsor has told me forever that fat is not a feeling. Uh, that, that fat, if I'm feeling fat, there's something else going on. Just like if I want a cookie, there's something else going on. Or if I want to change my husband, there's something else going on. Um, so it always has to come back to me. Uh, and because it's easier for me to feel fat than it is for me to feel anything else. I, I can't imagine any, anything that feels easier to me than feeling fat. Um, so when I got here, I was, uh, a, not when I got here, actually. I had lost a little bit of weight, uh, weight before I got here. But my top weight was uh, uh, about 100 pounds heavier than I am now. And I have been 10 pounds thinner than I am now. Uh, and so when I got here, I stopped overeating at the what I call the lethal level, um, the, the the level that was killing me. And for many, many, many years, I stayed um, a bigger size than I am now, and I couldn't I couldn't lose more weight. Um, I believe that that's because I had done a fourth step and I fourth, fifth, sixth, and seventh step, and I was asking my higher power to remove perfectionism. And what my higher power gave me was a normal, average, American female body. And for me personally, it's interesting you say you feel, if, if you can't take your shirt off in L.A., where can you take it off? The place I'm most self-conscious about my body is in these rooms. Nobody else cares, really. Maybe it's because I'm, I'm 49. <laughs> um, no one cares, really. Um, and where I come from in Southern California, they care in these rooms. So, oh, why did I get off on that? Does anyone remember where I was going? I do that all the time. Average. It was very hard to be an average-sized American woman in these rooms. Um, it was important to me that I could go into normal stores and, and buy clothes. That was very important to me. But I just, I tried so much, so many things to lose weight, and I couldn't. So I had to come to terms with who I was and what I had. So I want to tell you some of the things that I came across. And I actively, I really had to work on that to, to make myself okay. Um, there are some statistics that I love. The average height of an American woman is five foot four. Barbie is six feet. <laughs> a store mannequin is six feet. The average weight of an American woman is 145 pounds. Barbie, if she were alive, would be 101 pounds. Six feet, 101 pounds. You may have seen that email going around that if, if Barbie were alive, she wouldn't be able to stand up. 
Real, it's true. She'd fall forward. Um, <laughs> the average woman's dress size is 11 to 14. Barbie is a 4. A store mannequin is a 6. Hollywood actresses are 2s. The average bust size is 36 to 37. Barbie is a 39. Store mannequin is a 34. So that's less than the than the uh, average woman. And I did hear a long, long time ago, I heard... Um, a designer speaking uh, on a show, a talk show, and he said that he wants his models to look like coat hangers. He doesn't want people to look at the bodies. He doesn't want people to notice the woman. He wants people to notice the clothes. Therefore, their bodies need to be shoulders, basically, so that their bodies are coat hangers. And we're trying to look like that. Um, Average waist, 29 to 31. Barbie is 19. Store mannequin is 23. Average hips are 40 to 42. Barbie is 33, which is not healthy for having babies. And uh, store mannequin is 34. The first Miss America was 5 foot 3 inches. I'm 5 foot 3 inches. She was 135 pounds. I'm 125 pounds, and I'm not thin enough to be Miss America today. So what that tells me is that the styles of bodies change, that each era has a different size body. For a while, I, I used to look at Rubenesque pictures a lot because that was the standard of beauty at that time, and those women were larger than I was. Um, so I realized that I was trying to make myself fit into a standard of beauty that my body didn't fit into. I have my mother's body and my grandmother's body and my great-grandmother's body, and I know I have them because I wear their clothes. I like vintage clothes. They fit me like a glove, and they're not these this Barbie mannequin stuff. You know, it's more like it's the more like the average women's stuff. So I was trying to change my genes and my genetics and my heritage to fit this standard of beauty that is just ridiculous. What's that old um, body? body shop postcard. It was so wonderful. There are eight models, eight women who look like supermodels and 24 million who don't, <laughs> something like that. Um, so at this time, I, I uh, took a walk in a park. I was feeling fat, trying to figure out what I was really feeling. And it was a dog park. It was in Los Angeles. I wasn't walking a dog, but this was a really important walk to me. And I was looking around at all the dogs. There were just lots of different dogs there, different sizes, different kinds of dogs. And I noticed the uh, the greyhound dog. And I thought, I want to be a greyhound. <laughs> and I thought about a gal in my meeting who had had a lot of plastic surgery. She made a living as a exotic dancer. Uh, and I thought, now she is a greyhound. And I looked around and there were all these other dogs. And not only were there all these other dogs, there were all these other hounds. There was a basset hound. And I thought, you know, that basset hound is not trying to be a greyhound. That basset hound is perfectly content being a basset hound. And it would never occur to it that it needs to be a greyhound. So I looked around and I thought, wow, if I were a dog, what kind of dog would I be? And I decided that I would be a golden retriever. Mm -hmm. That, 
you know, a little bit thick, a little bit athletic, a little bit fun. And uh, now that's changed. I, I, since I've lost more weight, I've decided I'd be a golden doodle. <laughs> I don't know if you've seen them. They're absolutely adorable. <laughs> so I like the golden doodle. Um, and that was what helped me realize we are all different. We're all human beings, but we all have different shapes and sizes. Even if we're at our normal, healthy body weight and shape and size, we're all still going to look really different. And we're all busy trying to look like Barbies and store mannequins, which just isn't possible. Same as he was saying about the, the uh, airbrushed pictures. Um, so a couple of other things happened, too. Let's see what else I want to talk about on my list here that helped me. My mother is um, declining from emphysema, and uh, she was always quite thin because she smoked like a chimney. So uh, she's a nicotine addict, and when she got emphysema, she had to quit. Well, she actually didn't quit smoking when she got emphysema, which I understand. You know, some of us don't quit when we're on the verge of death. Uh, but then she caught a cold and realized that she could die, and she quit smoking, and then she gained weight. And she thought she was going to die gaining weight. So she's 76 years old, and she wasn't willing to buy any clothes because she wanted to wait until her ass was thinner. <laughs> and, it, yeah, it was stunning to me. 76-year-old woman dying of emphysema was focused on the size of her ass. And I thought, you know, the apple doesn't fall very far from the tree. <laughs> and if I continue this, I'm going to be doing the same thing. I'm going to be 76 years old worrying about the size of my ass. And as I said last night, I don't want my life to be about that. I read in a book which meant a lot to me, if, I don't know about men, but if all the women in the world who obsess about their size, weight, and body stopped, the world would change overnight. All of that energy would go into something else, and the world would change. It's a lot of energy that we put into that, and it's a waste of energy. So, let's see. What else did I decide I wanted to talk about? Um, eventually, eventually, I, I um, let's see. My, my 30-year high school reunion came up. In my 20-year high school reunion, I wrote an article that got published about how obsessed I was about my body. And I was uh, 10 pounds heavier than I am right now, and I was just completely obsessed with what I looked like going back to the, the reunion. So I had that same experience. I didn't have boyfriends. I didn't go to the prom. Um, I didn't date. I didn't sow my wild oats. I was absolutely terrified, absolutely terrified of it. Uh, I saw some things growing up um, that were challenging to see. My mother was a, was a, a single woman uh, in a very <laughs> free time in the 70s. And um, I saw things and heard things that just absolutely terrified me. And I just shut down. I didn't want that. Um, oh, I might I could have talked more about that, but I don't think I'm going to have time. Remind me if I do have time. Um, so I was very shut down, and so the, the reunions have a sort of a, oh, what's the word? There's a hook to them for me that is not necessarily appropriate. You know, like to some people, high school is so long ago, and who cares? And it's like, oh, I'm going to my reunion, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to turn some heads. 
and <laughs> those turned back, you know. So um, I so I went to the reunion, had a great time. No, nobody, this was a 20-year reunion. Nobody, everybody was just really interested in what everyone else was doing. And then the 30-year reunion came up. I started obsessing again, and it was just as bad. And I thought, I didn't. I've been doing this for at least 10 years. That nothing has changed. Ten years ago, I was doing exactly the same thing. This is bullshit. This has to stop now because of what I was talking about was wasting my life with that. So it was just a decision. So I said that I had stopped overeating at the lethal level, so I stopped overeating at the non-lethal level. Just started eating a lot less food. There's a wonderful prayer in the third step of the AA 12 and 12. I can't remember exactly what page it's on, but it says we ask our higher power for guidance on what our eating guidelines should be, and we will get that guidance without fail. It will happen absolutely. And I got that guidance. I absolutely found the right food plan for me. It works beautifully, uh, and I'm the size I want to be today. But I was in acceptance about who I was before I got to this size. So uh, I did go to the reunion, and I did turn some heads, which uh, absolutely terrified the Jesus out of me. <laughs> I didn't know what to do with that. So um, I took a I took a class in flirting once because <laughs> I I just I don't know anything about it and some of it I think is that I didn't grow up with a dad so I I don't I'm still learning who I am as a woman I, I don't really know who I am as a woman and I'm learning that and that's um, and I never knew how to flirt I never I never knew anything. So because I'm an actress, I thought that I should learn something about that. So I took this class in flirting, and it was hilarious to me. Um, they said that, let's see, she said, she said they, there should be a, she was Southern, there should be a little curve in your back, and, um, and think about something mischievous <laughs> so that your eyes sparkle. And when you look at them, don't smile until you turn away. <laughs> so, so I tried it, and it was like, it was like, like a, a magic recipe. <laughs> and I just thought, well, how simple is this? It's like, I just, um, so I can do it when I want to, and I don't have to when I don't want to. Um, but for the most part, I don't want to because I'm married to a wonderful, wonderful man. <laughs> um, so, uh, so after I lost this weight, I woke up sexually. Um, I have heard that the last bit of weight is about sexuality. I don't know if that's true for everyone. It was true for me. And I believe that that's why I didn't take this weight off for such a long, long time. I just wasn't ready to deal with it. I um, I had been this weight in OA before, and um, th those issues came up. Those issues of sexuality came up, and um, this is if you saw my show last night. This is during the period where can't you do this and can't you do that and can't you be a man and can't you because then I'll feel like a woman. And it's not his job to make me feel like a woman. It's my job. It's an inside job. So. Uh, I uh, started putting the weight back on in abstinence, and 
came off again and the issues came up again. And I'm a different person this time, and I've talked to him really differently about it this time. And both of us are compulsive overeaters. We're both in program, and um, he came from the shutdown place too. So neither one of us have very much experience, and neither one of us really know what we're doing. So, um, and yet, I I have not been able to turn it off. I I turn it off by eating. That's what I do, and I'm not willing to go back. So I can't I can't turn it off. And uh, and it's not like I'm trying to make up for lost time. It's just there. It's the life force. It's it's a very powerful life force, and um, it's what people are attracted to. And that's what overeating was about, was killing off that life force, killing off that spirit and not allowing myself to shine. So one of the things I try and tell myself now as I'm walking around is I'm beautiful and fabulous. And um, most most times I believe that. I don't really believe in affirmations that have hope to them, like there's an element of non-truth to them. I like to just tell myself on a good day what's really true. So, uh, so most days I believe that. I, do, I also do have some sagging skin and some scars. And I heard someone say in this, in this room once, it was really important to me, that they're battle scars. And I won the battle. So, uh, and thank God I did. Wouldn't I rather have that than, than what I had before? Um, also, exercise has been very, very important to me. I hated exercise when I got here for years and years and years. I didn't exercise. And now I just really love it. Um, I actually don't like gyms. I actually don't even like the word exercise. I just, I just like being in my body. I like walking. I love, I do Pilates. I like dancing. I like swimming. I like hiking. I like riding my bike. Who knew? Um, and I like sex. Same thing, you know, it's being in my body. Um, so a lot of my recovery for 22 years has been about having a voice, um, knowing what I know, seeing what I see, hearing what I hear, and saying what I have to say. Oh, so now it's like having a sexual voice, and that is really hard for me saying what I want, knowing what I know, you know, it's like, oh, can I say that? And, and I don't even have the words. It's like he said, there's these really bad words and these clinical words. It's like, well, there's something in the middle somewhere? I, I can't say those words. So I'm, I'm working on it. So my, everything that I've learned has started on the plate. So, for instance, I learned how to grieve by a meal being over. When a meal was over, I was sad. And I had to push the plate away and feel sad. And it was like the first time I felt sad. It was, I was in recovery, and it was 20 years after my dad died that I grieved his loss, because I didn't know how to feel anything. So I pushed the food away, and I felt sad. So same thing. With food, I learned how to be mindful. I learned how to eat mindfully. I learned how to be aware and present to the meal. And same thing with sex now. I'm wanting to be mindful. I'm wanting to be aware. I'm wanting to be present. Um, you know, my family called me overly sensitive and overly emotional. Uh, and I think that's a gift. It gives me a deep, rich, emotional life, which um, I think they envy in a way. And I can bring that I can't believe I'm saying this stuff on tape. I can bring that to the bedroom now. I can bring that sensitivity 
to the bedroom and that deep, rich emotional life to the bedroom. And my goal is to connect deeply to this wonderful, wonderful man. And also a goal is to just have fun. That that doesn't come easily to me either. So um, so when I talked to him, I, I just said, you know, this is really up for me again. And I, I'm not going back. And um, could you... It would mean a lot to me if you would just initiate sometimes. Can I talk about this? Okay. There he is. Um, And he said, it's so, what is deeply, deeply, deeply ingrained in him is not to have wants. So he has the same kind of challenge. Imagine it's not okay to have wants and then to initiate, I want you. That's pretty challenging. And at the same time, I really wanted to be wanted. So um, that's the joy of being with someone in program. The next day um, at, at a restaurant, he, he is a vegetarian, so it's hard for him to sometimes get the food he wants. And he made sure he got the food he wanted, which he rarely does. And I thought, he's working on this already. And um, then that night, I thought, is he initiating? I think he is. (laughs) And we progressed. Now I do know when he's initiating. And it's pretty frequent, too, which is pretty neat. Yeah. Because we went for years. That's how shut down I was. I couldn't begin to do that now at this size. There's no way I could do that. So um, so we're having fun. And I feel like we're, I'd say in high school. I was going to say in kindergarten, but we're farther along than that. <laughs> and um, it's kind of an adventure. I'm an adventurous person. So it's like this new adventure where I don't have to get on a plane or anything. I... Um, like there's, I'm discovering my body, and I'm discovering parts of my husband that I didn't know, and I'm, I'm, mm, the life force that I'm talking about. There's more of that there. I'm not willing to shut it down. Now there are times when it feels really overwhelming to me, and what I know how to do is to bring that down with food, have a little chocolate, and that'll go away. But I don't want to put out my light anymore. That's what the overeating was about. And abstinence for me is about getting clear with my higher power, about being available, about getting guidance, about being a channel. And I'm taking that same thing into the bedroom, being a channel, getting guidance, following direction, so that I can do my life, so that I can live life to the fullest at at every level. See if there's anything else I want to talk about um, in 60 seconds. <laughs> I don't think so. I'll see if anything comes up in the questions. Thanks for letting me share. It. Okay, I will now draw questions from the Ask It Baskets for up to 15 minutes. 
starts off with a quotation, I can't turn it off. Uh, I love my sexuality. I name, uh, I, I have a wonderful husband who is not sexually as emotionally available. I need intimacy. I am looking at other men and they are looking at me. I don't know what to do. I don't want to live without intimacy. So would someone like to answer that? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> well, what I'd say is, um, you know, in partnership with someone else, um, again, intimacy is an inside job. And um, I think as, well, as Susan was saying very adroitly, is that sometimes, you know, uh, when... Well, no, I should speak for myself. <clears throat> when I am feeling like I need to um, ball up my emotions in some other area and think I, I must have that, it's the same thing as with food. I've got to have that cookie. It's like, well, what's going on inside me and with my partner that I'm not addressing? I think passion comes from communication, from clearing resentments, and really truly being there and sharing your spirit with your partner. So, you know, in terms of, uh, doing a little mini fourth step on your resentment against uh, your relationship and the fact that there's no passion and there's not, you know, there's not the approach that you need. Um, because I think truly having to go outside of a committed partnered relationship and breaking that bond, the price is way, way too high. So my, my answer with that is, you know, the results, unfortunately, we don't always stick to that, but the results would probably be a recipe for disaster. How do I disassociate my true uh, self from my physical image? It is? <laughs> I don't know how to answer that because, um, because I read all those statistics that really helped me. <sighs> associate my true self and my physical image. You know, I, I guess I'm going to answer that in a sort of unusual way. I don't do that. I don't disassociate my true self from my physical image. Um, I, I work on acceptance of what my physical image is. And that doesn't come all that easily. By the way, I have experienced a lot of judgment in these rooms. And I think that's because I go to meetings in Los Angeles, which is influenced by its environment, and there are size twos. So um, I stopped going, and people cross-talked to me. You know, I remember saying, I, it's not about, this is not about the food for me. Well, if you're in the food, it's about the food, and if you're not in the food, it's not about the food. So, and I had people say, it is about the food for me. If everyone here were bad, I wouldn't. And I thought, ooh. Um, I, don't go to, I don't go to those meetings. I go to the meetings where I get complete unconditional acceptance. Because I, I have an Achilles heel in that area. And people said, you know, get over it. Go to the meetings anyway. Take your medicine. And um, it's too hard for me to get over it. <laughs> I, it's just so deeply ingrained in me that that I have to go to the, the places that are safe and the places that help me feel fabulous and beautiful just the way I am. Um, 
I was trying to think if I wanted to address the, the last question. Um, so men have been looking at me too, and that has surprised me. I thought they'd stop looking because of my age, but I think they might have stopped looking because I was shut down. I have a friend who's um, 300, over 300 pounds. She has no problem attracting men because she wants to. I didn't want to, I, you know. Um, so I'm letting my light shine, and it's attracting people. And at first it was really, really scary for me, especially when I didn't know what to do at home with my husband. And here's the, you know, I, I had a, I, I fell in love with my husband all over again. And one of the things that happened is I realized this is a person who wants to spend their whole life with me, the rest of their life with me. They want to grow old with me. You know, I'm not perfect. <laughs> None of us are. And I used to come from this place like I'm settling, I can do better, I can, oh, it just pains me to say those things now. They're so awful and so mean. The meanest thing I can do to another human being is try to get them to change. To not, you know, like I said last night, how much does someone else have to change to make me okay? So if I am the passionate lover, if I am the ardent woman that I want to be in a relationship, my experience is that he responds to that. What do you think of people with gastric bypass and program isn't in a comp out? Shouldn't they have their own meetings? Well, you know, according to our traditions, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues, but I will, you know. So, uh, that being said, I'm going to continue. Uh, <laughs> well, I would say that people, um, you know, I, I was looking down at over 100 pounds, and I was, would do anything. I went to a psychiatrist to have my jaw wired shut, and he, and he said no. And I was pissed that he wouldn't do it, and I didn't understand it at the time. Uh, so, I think that people... Um, the medical industry is exactly that. It's an industry. I, I'm frightened, frankly, for people because it's it's made it to be seen just like, um, I don't know, heart bypass surgery. That's major surgery. They do hundreds of thousands of them. And I think that we're in an era where they're doing that as well. But, you know, that does not fix the spirit. It does nothing for the mind-body-spirit connection. And they're starting to do programs on television now where people um, have the bypass surgery, but then they become cross-addicted. Mm -hmm. And it appears either sexually or through shopping and uh, huge depression. And I think that people who don't have the benefit of the 12 steps, um, you know, so I think it's a separate issue, you know. Somebody who's working a 12-step program and, and has the bypass surgery, the 12 steps will do their work on them if they're working a righteous program. And I know people who have had bypass surgery and have come into these rooms because they couldn't stay abstinent. You know, so they are separate issues, in my opinion. 
And, you know, no judgment against what anyone has done to get here. So if you have had bypass surgery, then, you know, great, because you're here working on your spirit, and you're, it's about the sanity, and it's not about the weight loss. So I hope that answered the question. Did you want to say How do you deal with the leftover skin after weight release? you. <laughs> so I do have leftover skin. Um, if I had the money, I might I might do it. That was really helpful to me to, to listen to him today about that. Um, but I'm not sure that I would because it's surgery, and I'm not sure that I want to do that to myself. Uh, so part of it is just acceptance. Like I said, this is this is the result of winning the battle. And um, also, who am I trying to please exactly? He, he loves me. <laughs> and it doesn't... So, part of what I really love, hate is that um, I, I don't... I think it's partly that I've lost weight. I think it's partly my age. My Everything's dropped. And um, I'd like to have some lifts. <laughs> <laughs> so... I've been really busy doing Pilates, and I just absolutely love Pilates. And my Pilates teacher just told me last week, she went and talked to a friend of hers and said, you know what, Pilates isn't going to do it. And, uh, and this is just last week, so I've been giving this a, a lot of thought. And it, it comes down to the same thing. It's working on acceptance. It's, uh, I'm a 49-year-old woman. Things drop. They've dropped even, even if you have small breasts, they drop. It's unbelievable. <laughs> um, that's what happens as I get older. And I would like to age gracefully and accept who I am. Um, my husband teaches human sexuality. Isn't that hilarious? Um, and he brings home books occasionally, and he's brought home some books of um, normal human bodies, normal human female bodies. And it's so interesting. I started to look at these books, and I realized I never see this. I never see this. We see the things that he was talking about, and uh, and it ranges like from 15 to 100. And I'm looking at these normal bodies, thinking, you know, I'm doing okay. So again, it's just more acceptance, and this program, you know, gives us all the tools for acceptance. The question speaking, not me. I have no sex drive, most likely due to medication, but I'm also quite overweight. We make love maybe once or twice a year. Do either of you have experience with breaking down barriers of fear or nervousness or the, quote, elephant in the room, unquote, because you, don't, because you haven't made love in a long time but want to? And thank you for your service. I need to proceed that question. Yeah, that's a long question. Um, well, the first statement, I have no sex drive. 
I don't know that that's entirely an accurate perception. I think we all have sex drives. I don't. I think that a lot of times we suppress those things, that they're there and we're not taking a look at them. And, and it's like wearing uncomfortable shoes. You know, it's not until you take them off at the end of the day do you realize how painful they really were. So there's, um, I would go back to the steps. And I love doing many fourth steps on different areas of my life. So, and it's all about resentments. And I'll tell you, you cannot be sexual with somebody that you're angry with. You cannot be sexual with somebody that you're afraid of. You can be in the room, you can act out with them, you can be naked and doing sexual things, but the sex drive won't show up. <clears throat> and, um, you know, people who are suffer from physical sexual abuse growing up, as many, many people in this room do, um, often uh, can benefit from therapy from having somebody walk through those feelings because they're very strong. And when you uncover some of the things, some of the, some of the dynamics at play, um, when, the, you know, it's, it's nice to have a helping hand. I think it's good to have, you know, discuss these things with a, uh, with a sponsor, but also at the same time, um, when, you, when you have a partner, there's their issues and mine at play at the same time. But really, doing the inventory, you know, I am resentful at this person because of this and this and this and this. Or I have lost respect for them because they lied to me. Or because they're not, you know, monitoring the finances or they're not spending time with me. Get to the core of all those resentments. Work them out. Do your amends to your partner. Not apologize, but make those fixes. Find out, sort out what's yours, what belongs to them. And I guarantee you that sexuality will show back up. Sex therapist right here. Okay. Uh, this one is just a comment. It says, you are adorable. Can you speak about living and expressing experience? Expression. Let me start off. Can you speak about living and expressing/slash experiencing your sexuality in daily life, not just in a relationship? A long time ago, my sponsor had me make a list of all the things that I loved. Like just really brainstorm on a long list: books, you know, um, the smell of oranges, walking in grass, um, swimming in water, wading in water, and those things are all sensual things. So I, I have been working with things that are sensual that help my body. So you know, I'm not. I know a lot of people really love. Um, body lotions and all that. That's a little too high maintenance for me, but um, I love baths. really love those, and my bath is my sanctuary, and I try to put in those those sensual things each day, something that will help me get in my body as well as exercise. Exercise definitely puts me in my body, 
And um, there are times when I actually practice from that class. There are times I think, okay, I'm going to put that little curve in my back, or I'm going to look at someone mischievously and think, because they, they told me to think about one specific thing. So I think about the time I had sex in an elevator. <laughs> and, and, and hopefully something is happening in my eyes. And <laughs> um, so, uh, so we all have that. I think I do want to address this other question. I think it's a really important question. And I did address some of it, and that is if you have no sex drive, eat less, and uh, it'll be there. I'm pretty, pretty certain. I don't know about the medication. Um, so when I started waking up, it was absolutely terrifying to talk about it, just absolutely terrifying and breaking down those barriers of fear and nervousness. Because, I, you know, for me, it was sort of typical of women at my age, um, being sexual was bad. You're, I was told, one of the reasons I didn't date, I cannot tell you how many people told me, you're the kind of woman I want to marry which meant they didn't want to date me because they weren't going to get what they wanted. They wanted the nice girl to take home to mom when they married, but not to, not to go home with after a date. So, and the reason they thought I was so nice is because I was so shut down. So, um, you know, it was bad, 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 bad. And all of a sudden, I was supposed to turn on the switch and be bad. And I didn't know how to do it. So because he teaches human sexuality, we watched some of his videotapes. <laughs> Close the drapes and let the neighbors see this. Like one tape where they just talked and talked and talked and talked. Like, okay, there's some ha there's some middle ground here that I can find. Um, so it's you know, and it really is like just. One, two, three, go. <laughs> One, two, three, I like this. Or, you know what? I want sex right now, and I'm going to kiss him like I mean it. And, um, ooh, it's really scary. It's really scary. But um, what, el how, what else am I going to do, and how else am I going to learn? And it's just trusting that my higher power has got my back, as well as the man I'm with. How do you respond to people who really focus on your body, whether positive or negative, especially when it's unwelcome? Um, at some point, you know, I, I've gone up and down in my body weight a few times uh, in in OA, and um, I'm a relapse-prone compulsive overeater, so I remember. You know, when people would compliment me on the way down, I'd call it, because I, I knew that at any time I could just whoop, spring back up, just sort of like the scuba diving wetsuit when you fill it up. It, it feels like it was that fast. And when, as people were commenting on how good I looked after having lost weight, I felt, well, okay, you've been sandbagging this all the time because you really thought I was looking like crap, you know. And um, what I would say is that, uh, well, a couple of things just, you know, from AA, they say other people's opinions about me are none of my business, you know. 
and you also realize that um, again it's the turn back uh, situation it's like um, do I need to solicit or hang around or validate the feelings of somebody who's got that belief system I think over time just like when I got into my um, into AA recovery I used to hang around people who were largely go to bars and drink and party and had a whole mindset which I shared and then I got into recovery and slowly over time I don't go to bars anymore I don't hang around with the people who think that way I don't I don't think that way myself so it's a slow migration I think that um, you know it's like live by the sword die by the sword if I believe intrinsically in myself that I am just my body, I'm looking for someone who would say those statements and they would hurt me, you know, and they ring true with me. If that's not my belief system and they could say that, it'd be like water off a duck's back. So I really need to take a look at why am I so hurt by those statements right now? And that is because I'm vulnerable, I'm changing, you know, I'm going through my recovery. This is part of recovery is to learn that other people's opinions about my body don't matter and to learn to accept the changes that are going through and have faith. These are all the... I don't know here, do they read the 12 steps and then they read the spiritual principle that goes with that step? Do we do that? Okay. <clears throat> That's beautiful though. That's one of the things that is read in meetings. And I hear about the spiritual principles behind the 12 steps of courage and faith and honesty and all of those things. So... I would say that, you know, it's not easy when somebody makes critical comments about your body. And it's true. We're the last safe refuge. You know, you can't talk about people because of their race or their sexual orientation, but you sure can make comments about fat people in America. It's still okay. And it sucks. But, you know, that's, that's accepting life on life's terms as well. You know, we're all in here because we know how difficult it is to be a compulsive eater. So I just say, you know, hang tough, stick with your food plan become, you know, stay abstinent, and that problem will eventually pass. It is now time to close this session. Let's thank our speakers and all who have done service. with the serenity prayer.